This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that's ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. Um, I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really going to have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Oh, that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous. Please, he's just another RV League educated surgeon with good hair. No, he's different. Nurses, we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror. Meet me in the OR. Stat. Right away, doctor. No, 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 she's on break. I'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little... When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates covered subject to policy terms. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Friday Night Live with That Mill Podcast. I hope everyone's well. Welcome to the show. My name's Omar. Joining me today, my regular co-hosts. First up, I'll bring in Mickey. Hello, Mickey, mate. You all right? Yes, mate. No problem. You? Not bad. And then the third and final co-host, as always, Neil Fizzler. How you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, not too bad, mate. You not too bad. We've got a special guest joining us in approximately ten minutes or so. So, obviously, if you're in the chat, say hello, welcome. Always, uh, we appreciate your viewership. We've got Murph Payne joining us in around ten minutes' time to discuss all things Millwall and obviously the latest ongoings. Obviously, the Lord of the Mayor show, um, a <laughs> natural. Well, there you go. All the books at the bottom there, anyway. But yeah, we're going to talk about obviously various topics. We've not done a show this week to discuss the Bournemouth game and review that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we didn't get beaten the other day, guys, did we? We got a, a 1-1 draw. It wasn't too bad. What's your original thoughts after that game, Neil? I thought that they mugged us, to be quite honest. Yeah, but they mugged us of all three points. I don't think they were particularly good. I think we all went into the game, certainly on our group chat. We were all a bit, uh, hopefully we can get some out of this. But I think, apart from the first 10 minutes, we weren't outplayed at all, really, were we? Uh, a bit unlucky, I think, that we got mugged off with another absolutely awful goal just on the stroke of half-time, didn't we? Just as we looked as if we were going to go in level pegging and then in the second half, uh, anything could happen, really. And uh, and I think we got what we deserved and I think we deserved even more out of the game, to be quite honest. 
I'll make you right, Neil. I think, you know, as a whole, the day, you know, I was worried going into the game. I think a lot of people were, you know, it's either going to be 5 0 Bournemouth for potentially us sneaking it. But I think overall, we played well, you know, and I think we actually showed our merit a little bit against a good side that, you know, we was a bit worried about it, to be honest. I thought after the Boreham Wood game, how many changes are going to make? I mean, Matt Namara stuck in the side and I think, you know, grabbed the plaudits for the right reasons, Mickey. I think, you know, give the players a chance and they seem to give their own and obviously show they're worth it. No, definitely. I think, you know, um, they looked fairly different, didn't they? They just wanted to crack on and get on with it. And it looked like it was a uh, a, a good um, team spirit again and, uh, and wanted to win. So, yeah. No, it weren't bad at all. I mean, I just thought we played well throughout. And I think it was impressive that, you know, we matched them and kind of was a bit more brave on the ball as well. I mean, Ken Sahor stuck in the side as well, Neil. I think um, we'll get on to Sahor a little bit in the show. But, you know, I think the murmurs are that he's probably going to be leaving us after Saturday's game. But I think, you know, having that big, big man up top that could roll players and also bring the ball down, I feel like it was quite important at the time. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they couldn't handle him, could they? They didn't really know how to play him. And uh, I think he's done all right in the yeah, in the two or three games that he started. It's just a shame that he spent, what, three months out injured, two and a half months out injured, because I think he might have been what we were looking for and we might be a little bit further up the league than we actually are at the minute. Absolutely. I think, um, Mickey, you wanted to touch on something as well, obviously, this evening before we get into the juicier stuff. I think you wanted to... Yeah, there's a sad message um, come out today um, from uh, Twitter, which is um, from a guy called Sean Graham. You may you may not know about him. Sean Graham is a uh, is a Scottish fella who writes for um, a lot of the lower leagues. He's a he's a massive football fan. I come across Sean uh, back in 2016 when um, AMS was obviously in in the middle of the massive fight with Lewisham. And uh, we were calling on football fans to get involved, join us. We needed names and stuff like that. He joined, started a conversation with me um, and said, look, I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. Um, anything I can do to help you. If you want me to write um, press releases or statements or anything else you want me to do, let me know. And I said, well, can you, what do you do? And he said, well, write in, in programs. So I said, well, look, if you can help us out, just put stuff around, get more and more people on board so he did. So he, he basically wrote an article in Montrose. I think it was a team up in Scotland called Montrose. And and that was the first bit. And then from there, we created a, a friendship. He he, he got um, he got involved with a, a lot of Millwall fans. And then, unfortunately, he got cussed. He got um, he got cancer and Millwall fans helped him get through. We kept him positive. He had this real positive attitude. And he just kept fighting it, going, oh, it's, you know, it's nothing, I'll get through it and all of this. And he, he got through the first one. And then he went on to the second one. Um, unfortunately, again, he got, you know, he got cancer come back and he was fighting it. And it looked as if great. And then it looks as if, unfortunately, he's, he's caught C. diff and it's just gone absolutely um, all wrong and downhill. And I don't know if you're listening, Sean. Um, I know that I did tell your daughter that um, I would say a message at the front and I will sound clip this and send it to her. But I've never met you in my life. I've spoken to you on the phone and we've done some FaceTime and stuff over the years. And I just want to say thank you. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You took Millwall on board 
and didn't judge us. You, 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 even when the press wanted to slaughter us over Everton, you basically decided to write another piece and put it in some other football um, outlets saying about all the charity stuff we did, all the good we've done, British Legion, soldiers, um, Isla, everything. And I'm just sad that we didn't get the opportunity to bring you down to den and have some beers with you. But no doubt one day we'll be able to have those beers. And I just want to say thank you very much. And on behalf of all Millwall fans, you're an absolute pleasure, absolute lovely gentleman, and you will be sadly missed. And um, and my my you know my heartfelt goes out to the family at this time dealing with what they're dealing with. Um, and and hopefully you know whatever we can do for your family going forward, or if there's a charity, then uh, let us know. And, and I'm sure. Myself and a few other Millwall fans will more than happy donate to uh, donate to that going forward. But yeah, um, keep fighting, Sean. But I know it's going to be a hard game, and it's one of those days because obviously the family's now withdrawn all the treatments. So um, yeah, Sean Graham, top fella, and uh, absolute pleasure to say that I called him a pal. I've never met him, but I still call him a pal, like many of you lot. What's Thanks, that? Well said, mate. I mean, yeah, a couple of interactions. Obviously, Gary Muirhead there echoing what uh, Mickey's saying there. And obviously, thoughts from us. I mean, yeah, I mean, we've obviously touched on that now. We'll just, I think we're going to bring Mervyn in a minute. Is he ready to jump in? Do you know, Mickey? I think he's at the bottom there. Yeah, bring yeah, him in yeah let's bring him in. Uh, let's bring him in. <laughs> Hi, Merv, you all right there? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for coming on. So, Merv Payne, I mean, Mickey, take it away. Merv Payne, uh, massive Millwall fan author of um, just a few uh, Millwall books. He's, uh, he's written, what have we done? We've written four Millwall books. Um, he's four written so far, yeah. four so far. So he's done After yeah. the Lord Mayor's Show, Natural High, uh, Ordinary Boys, and Because My Dad Does. You probably know Merv more from his first book, Because My Dad Does, um, which went around Hoff and many of the forums, what, probably probably nearly 10 years ago now, isn't it? It's got to be. Eight years ago? It was, uh, it was 14 years ago that started. 14. Yeah, because yeah, it started out as, um, it started out as I was writing something to, to sort of say, some words to say at my dad's service, and it sort of went on a bit too long. So I thought, well, I can't do that. But I just carried on writing it, and I just stuck it on Hoff, because I was a regular on there at the time. And quite a few people on there, uh, like Paul Neve and a few others, for example, we used to meet up in, in Harry's bar and that, and obviously sort of knew of my dad, sort of met him briefly. So that was my way of sort of like, you know, my sort of tribute to him. And yeah, it went a bit mad after that. And for about 10 years or so, people kept saying, oh, you know, you should turn it into a book. But I didn't really have the first idea of how to do it. And then it just sort of happened really a couple of years ago. So it all went from there. But I sort of combined it with that um, promotion season. Um, because there was always a thing about, I mean, you spoke me to James Murray, haven't you, or Jim Murray? Yes, yes, the, what a character he is. The the yeah, did the Lions of the South. And I always thought it was such a shame. It was such a, a brilliant book. Probably, I mean, obviously we're biased, but I still think it must be one of the best football club histories going. You know, the detail it goes into, it's such a fantastic book. And it was such a shame that it had to end. Obviously it had to end somewhere, but it had to end at the start of that famous season, 87, 88. And I tried to get in touch with him over the years and sort of say, when are you going to do an updated version, that sort of thing. But I understand he's something of a, a whiskey expert now, isn't he? 
Yeah, he is. He's, uh, he, uh, he, he, he travels. Well, COVID, I think, stopped him, but he travels the world yeah. now as, um, as a big... Um, it is, his book is, I think, the number one whiskey book it is. it's um, in the world, world, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I, can understand, yeah. I can understand why writing Mill's history could lead you on to being hitting the Scotch pretty hard. But, um, but yeah, unfortunately, he's not done a, a follow-up to Lines of the South. Um, and, yeah, and he's it, not going to be. No, he's not. Fair enough. <laughs> but, um, but that's what he told us. If you, yeah. if you listen back to the show we did with um, the three goalkeepers when we done it with... Um, Brian King, uh, yeah. Brian King. Mm. Uh, we had Jim Murray and we also had the writer on the show and he speaks in there about the um, Lions of the South he just doesn't have enough time he is looking to no, make Lions of the South um, yeah. digital he is looking That's to make good. it digital yeah, um, but yeah no so obviously the books we're coming to some of the others in a while uh, Omar's sitting there Omar's going to grill you about your football knowledge about the last couple of games I think so oh, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you go back <laughs> to Omar <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Just uh, how have you been, you been keeping in touch, obviously, with the recent performances and watching the games? Or Yeah, I have, yeah, with a combination of watching them when you can on iFollow or on your laptop and whatever and following it on Twitter. And I mean, it's been pretty, it's been fairly grim, isn't it, really? Uh, frustrating more than anything else because we've got the usual old problems of, of, of injuries to key players at the wrong sort of time. Um, and obviously, the, the football as it is now without the fans, it's just, it's just not the same game at all, certainly where Mills can say, and I honestly believe we've been hit harder by the lack of fans than, than, than most, to be honest. Um, and we, we, it's a shame because, you know, as we saw the Bournemouth game on Tuesday, we didn't play bad, we got a really decent result at a, a team that's going to be up there challenging. And yet we're in one of our worst league runs for like, well, one of our worst league runs for about 30 years since, since we came down from the old first division, which is it's hard to get your head around really because we're not actually doing that bad. But it's just, just frustrating. It's just one of them where we dominate the start of the game. You know, we miss some chances. The opposition have a half chance. It goes in and it's sort of... And you can you can imagine the players having the same attitude as the fans and thinking, like, oh, here we go again. And that's probably how the morale starts to dip. So, just got to get those fans back, really. I think that's going to be the big thing because that's that... Like, they give us that lift um, at times like that. No, I'll make you right. I think um, you're, you hit the nail on the head, obviously, about... Obviously, it's been a bit poor recently and it, it kind of sums us up. I mean... I think right after the game the other day, Neil, we were saying how, you know, we've played well, but we've not really dominated the game, but we've had better chances. And he's right. I think if I flick through it afterwards, I think we had six shots on that on target to two. I mean, stats yeah. don't make the game up too much, Neil. But what did you, what did you make of it yourself when, you, obviously, like, you know, we, we created more chances with the ball, didn't we? Well, I think he talks a bit of nonsense at times. Well, we're not creating enough. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're not scoring goals. It's fairly easy. Yeah, but you create chances, you score goals. That's how you win football matches. Yeah, yeah, but it's not rocket science. You put the ball in the back of the net more than they do. Yeah. And uh, that's something that we've not been doing. We've got a kiddie on loan from Tottenham, as we've said. We've got Zahor. We've got other players. We've got Bradshaw. We're not playing to his strength. Bavardson yeah. looks okay at times, yeah. But we're not creating the chances. We've got... Yeah, well, we yeah we play with two wingers, but when do they create anything? Mm. Yeah, Jed Wallace flatters to deceive. Unfortunately, he was the best. He was one of the best players in the league up until last Christmas or the Christmas before the one we've just had. And since then, I think he's there's something not quite right with him. I don't know if it's 
if it's teams are marking him out the game and things and people have sussed him out a bit, but he isn't as dominant as he was, and therefore we're not creating. We have to find a way to create chances. We yeah, we well, we create chances, we score goals, we win games. It's fairly simple. I think, you know, you mentioned Jed Wallace there. I think um, his charts in the first half probably sums up his recent form. You know, he's through on goal. I think he does everything right until the finish. And I think sometimes, Mervyn, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's obviously he's going through a bit of a barren spell at the moment, but he's still obviously a player that we look to to kind of grab the game by the scruff of the neck sometimes. I think that's possibly part of the problem. I think over the years at Mill, we've, we've had some of these, these key players who we've looked to all the time when, when things aren't going well. And possibly the rest of the team do the same thing. You know, there's one player that if things aren't going well, they'll look to him. Maybe he's feeling the pressure a bit of it, you know, feeling that there's too much onus on him to, to, to make things happen and to change games. And he's that sort of player. Um, we need more more like that to take the pressure off of him. And I know people on Twitter I've seen are crying out for us to sign a creative midfielder in the window. I think that's probably... probably uh, I think they're going to be disappointed, but... Um, but yeah, I think perhaps it's just for, for too long now. Perhaps you know, perhaps he feels that weight of expectancy, not just from the fans, but from the uh, from the rest of the team as well, to make stuff happen. And we, we need. I mean, I was actually quite impressed what glimpse we saw of him in the, the cup game at Warren Wood of um, Tyler Bury. Um, I think late in the midway through the second half, he got the ball, he's back to goal. He went on a really good quick run to the edge of the area mm-hmm. and the, and, and bought off a free kick. And we don't see that enough. People just getting the ball and just running at, running at defences and scaring them because there's nothing the defence hates more than someone with pace. You know, you always see it, and we, you know, we used to have that in the in the days of like Paul Eiffel, and you know, he, he sort of divided opinion a lot. A lot of people, and it's it's like wingers do tend to sort of divide opinion, don't they? You know, people all criticise him, but he was exciting. He'd get the ball and he made things happen, and you could see defences were scared. And I don't think we've seen enough of that in the last few seasons, really. And I don't know what like, people talk about systems the system that Rowett plays and who can fit into it and who can't. And then we had the big Matt Smith debate. But um, it's, like, it's like Neil says, I mean, football's a very simple game and I think you can, it's easy to overcomplicate it. And and I think we do need to perhaps maybe go back to basics. We need, you know, we need players who are going to get the ball and run at defences, I think, a, a bit more. No, I understand. I agree. I think uh, first evening to Katie for the uh, Carol, Carol, Katie Carroll for the comment. <laughs> They've drummed my words. But if you're just joining now, guys, be, be sure to interact. Obviously, get your thoughts in. Obviously, what you think about what we're saying here. I think I agree with you in what you're saying there, Merv, in the sense that the rawness of players sometimes catches people out. I think with Jed Wallace, he's he is feeling the pressure, and I think you know we signed him to be a winger, and, and now mm. he's kind of like looking to do X, Y, and Z. When you just know yeah. Jed Wallace can do X and Y, keep him to that. And instead, he's getting to do various tasks. I think he's just feeling the pressure at times. And I think that's probably something that, you know, in a struggling side in particular, you're looking for players to kind of grab the game by the scruff of the net. But I think a lot of the time, players shy away from it. I think Conor Mahoney coming back, Neil, could be an interesting one. I mean, I've not really seen his return date just been scheduled in just yet. But I think he could be a player that could hopefully offer some more, you know, instead of relying on Jed too much. I I 100% agree with Merv. I think we need somebody to pick the ball up and we need somebody to run at them. Uh, Scott Malone did it a couple of times, didn't he? I think against Boreham Wood, was it? And then, yeah. and maybe against Bournemouth. I think he picked the ball up a couple of times and drove into the penalty area. Funnily enough, when I went on one of the Bournemouth uh, podcasts before the game, I was actually looking up Conor Mahoney's goals and there weren't rocket science. They, he was picking the ball up, 
driving at the defence and scoring from the edge of the box. Yeah? So, yeah, but if you do that, you get the chance to either shoot or play somebody in, and that's what we're missing. Either drive at the defence, get the ball to the... Or get the ball to the byline, pull it back and see what happens. Yeah, that's gamble on it. Let's go back to when Rowett first came here. We played with a carefree attitude, didn't we? Where we weren't bothered. Nothing phased us. We attacked teams. And we did all of this. And it was a joy to watch. But it seems as if he's been here a year and he's settled back into... Uh, well, we haven't got those kind of players anymore. I, so yeah, you, I think that Conor Mahoney does come back soon and shows us what he can do. Interesting so comment here from Alan. Sorry, just about end there before we go crack on. I think it's a good talking point. I think we're missing a character who represents what we're all about, like Terry Herlock, Muscat, etc. Players don't seem to know what it means to play for the shirt now. I mean, you know, I think if I think to our squad at the moment, a player that sticks out to me is Ben Thompson, who... Still isn't getting a look in, which I can understand because obviously Leonard and Woods is a preferred partnership. But is it? It must be that at this point, you know, he just doesn't see Thompson as an option going forward at the moment, Rowett. I mean, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Merv, but like it, it seems to be that he's just obviously written him off, I think. Yeah, it is frustrating because Thompson is that all action player, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and he's that player that, it, that, that excites and will we'll, we'll sort of put that extra effort in that, that Alan's comment mentions there. And unfortunately, I think if, if Herlock and Muscat were playing now. They spend most of the season suspended, unfortunately, because the game's gone a bit soft now. <laughs> they wouldn't get away with anything. Yeah, they wouldn't be on the pitch five minutes, which is a shame because you know we do like to see that sort of player. But I mean, Mill teams have always had a really good blend of, of that hard, hard-working player who will put the foot in and get the tackles in and win the balls, and the flair players. You know, you've had obviously Cripses and your Dumfries and your uh, the Kuzaks and your Olakowskis over the years. You know, and that's always been when things have worked out best for us I think we've got that blend but every successful Mill team I've, I've seen has had those similar sort of traits and that is they've had pacey exciting wingers say again people like Steve Lowndes, Otto Lukowski, um, Carter, uh, O'Callaghan, George Lawrence and you've had your, your, your no-nonsense sort of strikers you know you've got your fashioners, your Lovells and your Bremners and obviously Cascarino sharing them and, you know, I know these are, I'm, I'm harking back to the 80s now when football's changed a lot, you know, a lot more, but I do think there is a case of overcomplicating things and overplaying sometimes. I mean, we saw it back in the, the Holloway days. Um, we started the season with a couple of wins. We think we beat Leeds and then we won at Fulham. And, and we were playing apparently this amazing sort of football and we went to Sheffield Wednesday away and we watched and it was actually ridiculous how they were just passing the ball from side to side and nothing was happening. The Sheffield Wednesday players just sat back and, and, and watched this. And that became a sort of a hallmark of Holloway's football that season where nothing happened. And it's easy to play against. And, and it, it goes against the way Mill teams have played. And I think the game should be played. And that is, you know, a lot more high tempo, really. It sounds a bit old-fashioned, but it works. As Neil said, it's simple. It works. I think a lot of your point there falls on the fact there's no fans. And I agree with you. You've really said oh, that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's probably a massive factor there because... With the players that are, you know, not necessarily not putting the effort in, but, you know, I think if we had fans there, you'd see a few more players kind of rise to the occasion a bit more. And I yeah. think we're maybe missing that in elements. I mean, an interesting comment here where Mickey's trying to get some conversation going, but I think, you know, David Taylor's saying Thompson had a Gary, wanted to leave. I mean, mm. I'm, 
I'm not sure how accurate that is, but there is sort of suggestions there. There might be a little thrift there, which I mean, I hope is not the case because it's clear that like, Thompson on social media the last few days, bigging up Matt Namara and obviously his appearances in the first mm. team. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I think, Mickey, did you want to say something before I move on to Nottingham Forest? I think I'll bite you off there a little bit. Oh, no, I was just saying that um, we've talked about Rowett being, you know, sort of all Aminari, and it sounds as if uh, Neil could be joining along the lines of uh, of Dan at TV Lines, saying that he wants wants the boss gone. Um, I just don't see... If we get rid of him, I don't see where he's going to go. So what's, what side of the fence are you, are you still 80% Neil that you want him in or Michael do behave yourself will you for once <laughs> Michael yeah. Michael yeah you must know I am I'm 90% yeah like yeah well I do want Rabbit here yeah but I do think something needs to change yeah so yeah well, yeah so stop trying to lump me in with people that want him out yeah Ask that, the question yeah, well, exactly. Ooh. Yeah, well, I want him in. Yeah, I want him in. Want I him stitch in. people up for a living. You don't. Yeah, <laughs> so don't try and stitch me up. I think. Um, I mean, Lionel here was a comment saying, I, I, I often fell into this category with Neil Harris when he was in charge, right? And then obviously we got Gary Ryan afterwards. But Lionel's here with a comment saying, "Route in. Who else do we have as an option?" I think ultimately, until you take the plunge, you don't know who's there as an option. Sometimes in football management, because I, I thought with Harris, like once he goes, I'm thinking, "Cool, we're in trouble here." But then Gary Ryan came in at the time and probably took us on the next level. I think sometimes it's it's a roll of dice, and it either works out well or it can. Eat, easily plummet but i am in the route in camp by clear country mark at the moment so is adam scandler here he's saying thing is he knows he thinks he knows what he needs and wants but the current market isn't great at the moment so hard to find and get that player i think Absolutely that's probably right. a, 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 you know something that's quite an obvious problem at the moment you know with covid but it's it's an issue because even he said it today in an interview right or it might have been during the week but you know he's saying we're waiting for the big players to make their moves and then we'll make our moves afterwards so it's like the same with Sahor, where it's rumoured that he's probably going to get recalled by Adidas and not get extended, purely because Adidas hasn't got his striker in yet that he wants. So, you know, Adidas said in the media that he was like, he, I think he said something along the lines of, we might have to give him a game till we get another option in. So it's like, you know, a lot of it is dictated by the big hitters that can pay the wages and kind of move money about. And then once people are dead wood, so to speak, that's when they become available for the likes of Mill Nil. Yeah, I... I think that Allardyce probably wants to look at everything that he's got available. I, I think he's lost two strikers. He Charlie Austin's mm. gone to QPR, and haven't they got a young lad who's injured or something? So, it's... Oh, the, the guy, the Charlton guy, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. Oh, blimey, Rabbit out Pulis in. Oh, please, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I think he's going through. Um... Alan never, ever, ever in a bump, munch, month bunch, whatever you want to call it, of Sundays, do we want Tony Pulis at our football club? Because we'll all because we'll all have to start singing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot" at games, won't we? I think there's a lot more to it with um, Tony Pulis. I think there's a whole his mannerisms as well. Like he does all his press conferences standing up, even during the week and stuff like that. Just little odd things that you look at and think because he wants to stand up and be so serious the whole time. But you just look at him and think, like I suppose when you're winning games, you know it, it, people laugh and, and kind of embrace it. It's a bit like the Holloway charm. But I think especially in his recent jobs, especially at Sheffield Wednesday. I think that's definitely someone I wouldn't take in. Someone that I've always liked as a as a character and always thought of, and Paul Monkhouse has just done the comment. I'll bring it up now, boys. 
Neil Warnock. Mm. I think he'd be perfect for Neil Warnock. And I've always Surely. thought this. <laughs> I've always, always thought this for Neil Warnock because, you know, he always comes down to London, loves the occasion, always talks about it in the media. He's getting off the coach and he's embracing it, but he's laughing about it at the same time. I think he gets the club. And he's just got a sort of kind of similar working class background, I feel like, from when he started in his early days, that kind of rub off on our fans. I mean, go on, I'll throw Neil Warnock into the hat. What do, what do people think about that? If it was, I mean, it's not going to happen, but... I think I, I think you're right. I think he, you know, would you want him here? Probably not, because he is a marmite sort of character. But could he do a job for us? Fucking right, he could. He, he, yeah, he, he could definitely do a job, um, and he'd get us firing on all cylinders. But would the fans take to him? I don't know. Um, that would be the one. Would the fans take to him? I, I don't think they would. But it would be a cracking one to have, possibly. Yeah, I saw the Cowley brothers. Somebody mentioned the Cowley yeah. brothers. Yeah, did very, very well at Lincoln, but did absolutely nothing. At they kept them up, didn't they? And I think the Huddersfield were going through a bit of a tricky spell at the time. But then you look at Huddersfield now and they seem to be kicking on a bit more than what they were under the Cowley brothers. I think it's one of those weird jobs up there where you never quite know, like, you know, what kind of Huddersfield you're yeah, getting. Yeah, didn't they get Bielsa's number two in or something? Yeah. 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 up that way. And uh, I think they got him in. So there's obviously a Bielsa influence in there somewhere. But that's also another thing. Could we go down the foreign market? I know that we were looking at a foreign manager before Lomas, weren't we? The former Liverpool mm. defender, I forget what he's called now. And we didn't go down that. But Or do we stick to English? I don't know. Probably it's all managers, you mean? I don't think anybody yeah. wants... Yeah, well, I don't think anybody really wants row it out, do they? No, yeah, I don't believe so. But it's just—it's interesting what people go for. I think Riley here, Chris Wilder, is a bit ambitious because I don't think he's ever going to, unless he got sat by Sheffield United. Then I could he, see that as a potential option if it was a case. Professional Northerner, Ian. Yeah, um, Paul Cook, ex Pompey and Wigan. I think he's muted to take over at Sheffield Wednesday if you read the papers. So I mean, might miss that boat. But yeah, no, it's interesting dynamic what people would go for in the hypothetical scenario. So um, I think if we got a foreign manager, we'd have to change how the club functions. You know, the, the director of football sort of <laughs> angle, so to speak. I think David Elson with the best comment here. Have done. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's coming back to Chelsea, isn't he? I suppose. Oh, yeah, yeah, but he's probably going back to help out Fat Frank in some way, shape, or yeah. form. I don't know how that dynamic works, but I mean, let's, let's get the uh, let's get the Millwall force out again for him, eh? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Hoff, so Hoff's greatest moment. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to Saturday's game because why not? We're playing Nottingham Forest at the County Ground. The last time I saw Millwall players at the County Ground, which I'm sure Mickey is expecting me to say there. So obviously, it's been. I don't know how many days has it been now, Mickey. 310, 20 days, maybe. I, I normally count them. I'm counting. I know. I normally do want to count them. But you obviously... need me to Google it for you. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, we're playing not the Forest. I think they've picked up form since we last played them yeah, in the league. Yeah. I think they, the last five games, they're unbeaten in the league. I think they've only conceded two goals, I read somewhere. Obviously, they won in the FA Cup last weekend, get one over Neil Harris. So, obviously, in the comments, if you're here watching, make sure to put your predictions in for Saturday's game and also your team lineups and what you think could be something we go for. I think. We were going to discuss team lineups. I'll come to you first, Neil. I think, you know, I've not really asked Merv to get a team ready for us or if you make any changes. But, Neil, if you know, if you was Gary Rowe Saturday, what would be your 11 going into the game? My 11 going into the game would be, uh, yeah, well, obviously, Bart in goal. Tempted to put Field in, especially after he kept the clean sheet against Boreham Wood last week. But, but I don't get to spit that all over the place. Danny McNamara hasn't really put a foot wrong in the last two games, has he? 
Uh, same with Scott Malone, left back. I think he's been bloody good. He was very good against Boreham Wood, obviously. He was against a non-league club, but I thought he had a good first half against Bournemouth. Uh, I'm going to go three at the back, as everybody seems to like this three at the back. So, obviously, Cooper Hutchinson, Pierce. Central, central midfield will be Woods and Leonard. Then we're going to go... We're going to change the formation slightly. We're going to go with Jed Wallace. Uh, and then... I'm going to go for Parrot and Sahor. Interesting. I think um, my team line is very similar to uh, yours, Neil. I think I've gone with the back five, kept the same back five and goalkeeper. Woods and Leonard are the same in the middle because I think, you know, it's, it was working great the other night. I, I think we didn't really mention Leonard, but he's formed recently. I, I thought Tuesday night he was superb. You know, just picking up the ball, turning the defenders and running at them and cause havoc. And I think that's so if he keeps doing more for it. Um, and then I've gone with Wallace and Bennett on the left instead of Parrot. I just think Bennett might be knocking on the door and he played well against Nottingham Forest last season at the county grounds or the city grounds, sorry. And um, I think he could be, you know, especially someone that's had a few games off, hopefully comes in and causes some trouble. And then up front, I was stuck between Smith and Sahor. I think I'll go Sahor just because if he's fit against play, I definitely would go with Sahor and I think, you know, he's offered what he can and it's his last game for us. Um, but Smith definitely would be knocking on the door, won't he, Merv? I think, you know, it's saying, well, I'm going to get my chance. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I made this comment when he scored on Tuesday that, you know, he seems to be, he's got the best record probably out of all the strikers we've got in the championship. I mean, his stats, I've not got them in front of me, but his stats at QPR were unbelievable for, for goals and assists based on how many games he played. But I think the fact that they used him sparingly there, like we are doing, probably tells a story that perhaps there's perhaps an issue with his fitness and maybe, understandably, he probably can't play Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, 90 minutes. But, um, but yeah, I'd agree with you on the Bennett front. I think he, he offers us a lot. And, and maybe Parrot needs a rest, if, if anything else. You know, maybe his, his confidence is going to take a knock. Some people will say, well, no, keep, keep playing him. The goal, the goal will come and his, his confidence will transform. But at the same time, I think... You know, his head might be getting down as well, so maybe just change it a bit. But I do like Zahor, I must admit. And mm -hmm. again, it's down to people who've got experience at this level. When he, He's done it time and time again at this level, as has Smith. I mean, I mentioned playing Zahor with Smith, and I got my head bitten off the other night. But I think, why not? We've tried every other permutation of strikers, haven't we? I mean, we've got probably more experienced strikers on our books now than I think we've ever had. I mean, you look at the experience at this level that uh, Bodvarsson's got and Smith and... And, and Bradshaw, and, and obviously we've got Parrot in on loan, who's, who's, who's raw, but Zahor, you know, it's that many options up front. I think the only, the only one we haven't tried now is, is Smith with Zahor. They're both just good players at this level. And, you know, why not? I mean, give it a go. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say Forrester in good form, so we've, we've, got to be, we've got to be careful. I think, yeah, I think it's six unbeaten now. I think they've won three and drawn three of the last six. So uh, just sod's law that they've, they've hit form just when they play us, which always seems to happen. I think um, Chris Hewitt's got on playing, you know, a bit more difficult to be. I think Graben even mm. got one the other week, which um, yeah. sets the omen as well for that one. Lewis Graben, I think he's always up for the games, normally away from home. I think. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. I mean, I think Adam Scanner's done his team here where he said Bart, McNamara, Hutch, Cooper, Malone. So he's gone for a bat four. Thompson, Woods and Leonard, Sahor, Parrott and Jed. I think, yeah, I, I personally am on the Parrott side of, you know, like how you said there, you know, Merv, like, you know, maybe... 
Message. Hey, man, it's Devin. You know, from that time you accidentally emailed me because you thought I was a different Devin. <laughs> oh, and your email signature said confidential. If you receive this in error, please delete. <laughs> That's so you. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat when we set in sail, Captain. <laughs> when you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Oh, and uh, no, you did not receive this message in error. <laughs> Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. On August 25th, I'm the most brutal, vicious, ruthless champion that's ever been. The most anticipated original series is here. You may know Tyson. You're the heavyweight champion of the world, young, rich, and black. But do you know Mike? The minute you get too big, they gotta cut you down. Starring Trevante Rhodes. I'm I am Mike. And Harvey Keitel. They'll love you as much as they fear you. Now I'm really gonna have some fun. Mike, series premiere August 25th, only on Hulu. Just needs a game out, just maybe come mm. back in and so hopefully could, you know, have that game out to ha- or maybe make an impact later in the game as a sub. Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's, what's your thoughts on that, Neil? I think that's, yeah, I think Adam's side's actually a pretty good team, actually. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if we're going to play 4 3 3, I think, yeah, I think Katie also had Woods in, in or Tomo in instead of, instead of Woods. Woods. Yeah, Katie, yeah. 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 Fair enough. You yeah. couldn't disagree with that, as I think. We have looked a little bit better without Woods than we have with Woods at times. Uh, no, let's but, not talk about Ryan Woods again. Let's just yeah, uh, no, move on yeah, to Ryan Woods. Yeah, yeah, explode. <laughs> Mickey will explode. No, I'll explode. And you and Merv will have to do the show on your own. <laughs> yeah, but the city ground's actually somewhere where we traditionally do quite well. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was looking at the stats the other day. I don't know if you all remember the four-one victory. I think in two thousand and twelve, that game was the one that sparked the Holloway comeback season. So you remember the whole story where um, Alan Dunn's in the changing room and he's galvanising the boys, and then from that point onwards, um, Holloway went with Dunn and um, Beavers centre half. And that was the pairing towards the end of the rest of that season. I think we went eight games unbeaten. We stayed up. The great escape happened. Or was it that game or was it the one after? I think it was definitely around that time where um, we went to City Ground and done it. You were Trotter, Darius Henderson, if we remember him. Right, okay. season after I'm thinking of then. So You were Chris Wood, player that we should have signed and we should have taken a gamble on. Yeah. And I think Andy Keogh yeah. scored in that, that game. I do remember that game. And it is always a place where we go... Well, yeah, when we do go to and we actually play well. I think, yeah, well, last season we went uh, there and, and won 3 0, didn't we? Yeah. And I think, I think we've only lost there two or three times in 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 quite a long time. Mm. I know there was quite a long spell where we haven't played them, but we went through. But I think if you look at the records, it is a place where we actually mm. go to and we do play quite well up there. The game I was thinking of was um, a 2-1 win away at the county, uh, the county ground, I keep saying, the city ground, and it was um, Scott Malone and Lee Martin scoring with Meyerhofer up front in a 4-2-3-1. Oh, our, our team that day, yeah. I'll give it to you, David Ford in goal, Carlos Edwards right back, Alan Dunn and Mark Beavers centre-halves, left-back Scott Malone, midfield three of Nicky Bailey, Irene Garvan, remember him? Oh, uh, yeah. 
Ed Upson, Lee Martin, and Martin Wolford with Meyerhoff and even the uh, line. And that team stayed throughout that whole season and got us staying up that year. And I remember going to this game, I think we was doomed. We was like literally yeah, against we Lords. Yeah. We was dead and buried. And then from that yeah. point onwards, yeah. we went on to like, I think it was like eight games, managed to stay up last day of the season against Bournemouth. I think Robbo got on the pitch and he talked about it where he got carried off the pitch afterwards. And it's like his kind of last kind of hurrah at Millwall. So, yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of a blast from the past, that one. But you're right, the uh, city ground is a good stomping ground for us. Um, Mickey, you, like you wanted to say something there when you was laughing away. I don't know if he was going to pipe in and say something there. Oh, no, I was just thinking about the, the big fella. He was, um, yeah, he, he was a he was a dodgy boy, wasn't he? Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was, um, he was definitely a dodgy boy. This is beyond me. I think a lot of people are calling for um, Tom over Woods, which I, I think I can see the logic behind it. But I think, I suppose the team's played quite well recently. So it's like, do you want to see too many changes? But at the same time, I think a lot of people obviously want uh, Thompson to come into the side and make his impression. The same with Steve Monk here with Smith. We'll be buzzing for tomorrow after his last performance at the City ground. I think that's why I wasn't sure who to go for, Smith or Sahor. I think the problem is with Smith up front, especially if it's the three up front, you often find that, you know, Smith's a bit isolated up front if the, the opposition, opposition keeps the ball, which is the kind of main criticism we've got, really. I think, you know, if we're going to have the mould the ball and put the chance on the plate for him, then, yeah, of course, play him. But if he's chasing the game... 20 minutes of running around, he, he's normally blowing out of his backside a little bit. So that's probably the only criticism I think a lot of people have there. Um, I don't think he can start him. I don't think he. I don't think he can play 50 minutes. Yeah, mm. I think he's best served coming in off the bench when everybody's a bit knackered, and like the other day, he can just pop up in the middle of the six. See, see what we were saying about get the ball in the box and we're going to score a goal. Yeah, there was a nod dang Tuesday night. Nod dang, he got a yeah, he got on the end of it. Bish bang bosh, one one jobs are good. One. I think he's um, as I said in my post match video. I think you know Matt Smith scores goals, and I think you mentioned it more of his goal, goal record. I think it was Jake Saunders put a tweet out for every 170 minutes he plays, he scores a goal for Millwall, which yeah, yeah. obviously he's not completed 90 minutes in many of those games. But every 170 minutes, which is obviously less than two games, he, he scores a goal, which, you know, begs the question, he should maybe play more often, Merv. Yeah, I think the season, the full season before we signed him, before Neil Harris signed him, again, there was a lot of split opinion amongst Millwall fans about whether we should get him or not. And it turned out that, percentage-wise, he had the best record both for goal scoring and assists. That's But obviously, he'd only played like 20-odd games out of a 46-game season. But those sort of percentages, they're, they're great to have around in a team... Especially the way Neil Harris played, and um, like, like Neil mentioned, you know, it's about get, getting getting the ball forward and stuff like that. I think it's a fine line between between playing that sort of more direct style and then going too too direct or too far down that that alleyway we did with Harris. But I, I'm concerned that perhaps we're going a bit too much the other way, maybe, and that's that's perhaps what needs to change a little bit. And I think Smith allows us to do that. I think that's what's changed. I feel like the last few games because like. If I, I think if I think back to obviously the New Year stage where we had the games off and then we came back Coventry, I think, you know, I think especially with the Bristol City game where we kind of went more direct and up front, I think a lot of the time we was asking the likes of Cooper to get the ball, play it, and often they were kind of, you know, left kind of 
going sideways or backwards. And, and obviously, it's a different way of playing for them, where obviously, you know, mm. under Harris, it was lump it to the big man and play from there. It was often yeah. get to Morrison and then Gregory and Wallace will try and make an impact, you know. And I think that kind of carried on a little bit. And then Rat came in, it was refreshing to see, you know, we're playing from the back. But sometimes you can overplay it. And I think that's what, mm. you know, with the whole, like, you know, the team going out of form, I think at times that was maybe an underlying problem there. I don't know what you think, Merv. Yeah, again, I mean, I don't know. I'm not one of these fans that, that, that goes along with just overanalyzing systems and formations. Because to be honest, it goes over my head a lot of it. I don't really, I don't understand a lot of it. As, as Neil said, <laughs> it's just I like I like football to be simple. And I think even though the game has changed a lot since the 80s, you know, it is still very simple. You look at teams that have had success in the last few years in the Championship. People like Sheffield United, Cardiff, teams that aren't pretty, but they do they do blend it well. They they know when to go direct, when to hit you. But all of a sudden, they can play football, and that was the hallmark of John Doherty's side that got promoted and, and did so well in the first division, in, in the first season, the first division. They they had that that blend because if you look back now at some of the some of the footage, you know people always think of us as being another Wimbledon at the time, but we definitely weren't. In fact, even you know even Wimbledon had some good ball players, some skillful footballers, and that's what it's all about. It's about the blend, and I think you know you, you can you can go too far and, and overthink it, and I, I wonder sometimes if. It's even too much for the players that own the fans. If a manager gets over technical with his system, and, and sometimes perhaps even the players, it's too much for them. They just want to. They have a, a way of a set way of playing, and that's what they want to do. And I think Jed Wallace is probably like that. You know, he wants. I think he wants to get the ball and run, mm-hmm. but perhaps he's being told, you know, not to. Which it's not a lot you can do about that, really. An interesting one from Alan here. Obviously, Romeo went out of favour now. It's quick how he's kind of just gone to the side of our thoughts when we're talking about the eleven. I think. That's just due to McNamara doing so well, Neil, wasn't it? I think, you know, he's grabbed his opportunity by the scruff of the neck, really. Yeah, McNamara's come in and hasn't done a thing wrong, has he? Mm-hmm. He, was, he, he, was, he was almost man of the match, arguably, on Tuesday night. It depends if you want to give it to him or Leonard. I probably erred on the side of giving it to Leonard. He played very, very well last week in the FA Cup. And he's... Yeah, he is the person in who's actually in possession of the shirt. His final ball is a lot better than Romeo's. Yeah, Romeo can't seems to get stuck up pitch and and doesn't get back and leave gaping holes. Yeah, to be fair, he hasn't really done much wrong, Romeo, but he hasn't done much right either. He's just been one of those players that's just coasted along, I think. And I think- I think with him, um, I think what I've noticed with McNamara, especially, I don't know if it's a deliberate thing from Rarit or if it's just because McNamara is doing it, but we seem to be getting him further up the pitch a bit more. And I know Romeo obviously gets there a lot, but I think you see with Romeo, he's kind of sprinting onto the ball, whereas McNamara is already there. I, I don't know if that was something I felt watching on Tuesday, but, you know, I think McNamara just seems to have come in with a lot of confidence and thinks, you know, I'm going to play my game here. And you notice that obviously with the Bourne Rug game, you know, Malone and McNamara were both our furthest four players at times. And I think that offers the outlet that we get with the, the three centre-halves and obviously two wing-backs bobbing on. I wanted to just talk about uh, Mill Drive Home's comment. I'm sure Mickey saw it. Mickey is simple. Any thoughts, Mickey? <laughs> <laughs> I've got fucking no idea. You bald headed camp, what you're saying. Um, <laughs> Mickey, 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 calm nice, down. Nice that nice we've got you watching, by the way, Tone. Um, thank you very much. And remember, his show's after every match on YouTube. Join in and watch him. But um, yeah, it's just because he's bitter because he's not on this week. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you have got a real guest. Ah, mate. Is um thing. Um, Omar, can we can we go on to another one of Merv's books? Of course, yes. Go on, steer it away. So then you've um you've done a natural high as well. Um, what was the thinking behind natural high? Um, it was like a, a progression from my first book, really, which sort of focused on that season we got promoted. Um, and again, because there was a lack of uh, of sort of reference material, if you like, for and there's a whole generation of Mill supporters who haven't been to the den, the old den, never saw us in the top flight and never actually saw the likes of Sheringham, Cascarino and that in, in the flesh. And but it wasn't just that, it was wasn't just the football at that time. It was a whole sort of um whole sort of atmosphere around the whole cup the whole country. There was something going on in eighty eight that was it was you know, the whole acid house thing was um was was going on and <clears throat> there was just yeah, it was it, it was just a strange sort of time. Everything sort of clicked into place just in nineteen eighty eight. And um, I wanted to sort of get that across to people who experienced it, but also people who perhaps hadn't. And hopefully they did that. My only regret was not perhaps getting hold of more of the, um, the team to talk to about it. Um, I, got, I got to talk to quite a few of them. Um, but I would like to have spoken to some of the others, you know, the, the, like Cass and Teddy. But um, who knows, maybe in the future that they might be willing to chat and, and, and give us some stories. But yeah, I mean... What it was based basically it was an account of, a, of, a, of a, a memorable time. Even the season we went down, the second season, it was still a good laugh. Basically, that was a thing, and, and it was just just a really special time. And then you end up writing the ordinary boys about the '79 um, Cup team, which yeah. again, um, some right characters, some some good players oh, in that yeah. team. Yeah. Um, and then you decide to write out for possibly the same reasons. Is it not enough reference books and and everything yeah. else? I thought it was a story that needed to be told. And what, but once I started digging, I wasn't sure if it was, there was going to be enough in there to actually write a book about it. But once I got digging into some of the things that went on at the club um, and like the uh, the Peter Anderson era, which that will get people pulling their face. But there's a whole show in that, I think, Peter Anderson. But yeah, what went on at the club was, was, was unbelievable, you know. And and what fascinated me was how the club at the time in the late 70s was, was going through a terrible time. There was, there was the Panorama programme, which totally stitched the club up. We had, you know, we had hooligan problems, um, but the club was skint. And yet here we had, belief all that, we had this amazing crop of youngsters coming through and this superb coach, Oscar Arthur, this Argentinian coach, who we had no right to have really. He was sort of a Pep Guardiola of his time. And, and we, we produced this incredible youth team, which won the FA Youth Cup. And were it not for the state of the first team needing to, Call on those youth players to play in that first team to try and keep them in the second division, and then and, and then keep the Reds ball walk the water further. They would have won it a second time. Um, and all the second division teams, or all the non-first division teams that did well in the FA Youth Cup, always went on to greater things because those those youth players always progressed. And, and which is the idea, you know, is benefited the first team. Yet we were the only team not to do that. Ours just, you know, it just unfortunately just petered out through a mixture of things, but it was such a much bigger story than just the team that won the FA Youth Cup and so many characters. I mean, Bob Pearson, I've been talking about on Twitter with people tonight, was every single bloke I spoke to, every member of that team I spoke to, the very first name that came out was Bob Pearson and his influence in getting these players in. People like Kevin O'Callaghan, who was wanted by West Ham, who was you know, the team he supported, his local team, who were doing really well at the time. Once he spoke to Bob Pearson, there was never any doubt in his mind who he wanted to sign for. And, and that, that was such a great and at the same time sad time for the club because we had this fantastic team potentially 
and and it was just wasted really i think the way you done is actually the work that bob pearson did over a number of years for millwall and it wasn't just mm. five or ten years we're talking no. 20 25 years yeah. mm. and the players that bob pearson discovered yeah it's it, yeah, it's almost a book in itself, isn't it? The, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, Bob Pearson deserves to be mentioned amongst the great Millwall legends, Definitely. I think, yeah. because yeah. Of, just, of, of the players that he brought through, the players that he discovered. Yeah. yeah. I don't... Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. It wasn't just about... Then, it, was, it was the way he sold the club to them, you know. He was such, he was such a Millwall man. You know, you're so passionate about the club. It wasn't like, oh, he's decent. I'll recommend him to the manager or I'll get him down for a trial. He, he went round to these kids' houses and sat there for hours talking to the parents. And, and all they wanted to do was him recite for Mill. And, you know, it, you talk about recruitment these days, that sort of thing. But that that is recruitment in my book. Absolutely. That was hard as well. I mean, because then, I mean, Crystal Palace were on fire and, and a lot yeah, of the other yeah. teams were, were a really good youth teams. So yeah, he yeah. was definitely batting well above his average. For, for oh, getting right. some of those players in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So on to your final book, which is after the Lord's Mayor show. And we mentioned Jim earlier. It's sort of your attempt of, of just covering the years between, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, it, it was something I considered. I thought, you know, do I need to continue the story after the two first vision years? And when you look at what Moore went through in the 90s, it's probably more than a lot of football clubs have gone through in their entire histories. You know, you, you just look at, Obviously, there was a playoff defeat, you know, missing out on getting to Wembley, obviously leaving the den, uh, going to administration. Uh, so much happened in just that relatively short period of time. But um, again, I thought it was a good story to be told. And there were some, some good characters to chat to about, about things. Ian Dawes, who kindly provided the forward, was, was great to chat to. And he had some really good stories about Bruce Riop, um, which was quite an eye-opener. But... Um, but yeah, again, it's just I just enjoy I enjoy the research, I enjoy telling the story, and it, it's nice to think of people who perhaps weren't there at the time, and perhaps obviously you can you can look it up on the internet now, and you can go to YouTube, but thought perhaps it was nice to just sort of dig out a few a few stories about about things that, that happened that perhaps even the people that were there at the time didn't weren't aware of, and it's just just I just find it very enjoyable, really. Your books have gone down really well with, um, you know, a huge. Um, section of the fan base. Um, most of our fans love reading your books. I mean, your first one because my dad does. Um, yeah, absolutely resonated with most football fans across the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it really touched the note. And I'm glad that you wrote that first because that probably gave you the drive to do the rest of the books afterwards. Yeah. Well, funnily enough, I was going to do that. I thought, well, I'll do it. I kept telling myself to write it, and I, I kept putting it off. And I thought, right, I'll do it. Get it out of the way, and I can crack on then and stop going on about it and people will stop going on to me about it and I enjoyed it so much and I thought well a few friends and family will buy it and that's it you know and that will be forgotten but um it was it was received really well and um and I thought well you know I just got a bit addicted to it I suppose really and I, I really enjoy it and as soon as we went into lockdown last year um because I've got me I work for myself employed and my work went a bit quiet for a while so I thought rather than sort of sit around and sort of feel sorry for myself I just cracked on and wrote another book and it was really therapeutic to get the old programs out and go through some old stories and look some stuff up and, and it, it sort of flowed from there really. So I'm, I'm sort of 
looking forward to doing the next next one now as well as really as well really. So just just before we go back to Omar and and obviously talk a bit more about tomorrow's game, you obviously now um, publish part of your company now. What you do, self-employed, is that you can publish books and stuff. So I mean, if there is yeah. any older Millwall fans, what feel that they've they've had a journey following Millwall and ever wanted to put something on writing of of the games they've seen and stuff like that. Not about the uh, the stuff that we don't need to put in books, but if there's anything there, then maybe contact Merv um, on Twitter or um, is is on Facebook as well. Um, yeah. And also look at, you know, if you want a copy of his book, if you've not read any of them, uh, they are all on Amazon. You just need to type in Merv Payne and, uh, and they'll all come up. Isn't that right? Have I yeah, missed anything? That's great. No, it's, it's perfect. Brilliant. Yeah. Got some nice feedback here. Uh, Tony's comment uh, gave me a little chuckle. But yeah, there's a couple of people uh, all kind of echoing, obviously, what we've said there and what Mickey said. So yeah, I mean, I suppose we've got the last five or 10 minutes here to wrap up. I mean, Neil, I'm going to come straight to you on this one, mate. What's your thoughts ahead of tomorrow and what you kind of, your gut feeling, so to speak? Uh, well, after thinking we're rather going to uh, draw or lose 5 nil on Tuesday night. I don't quite know what the make of it, to be honest. Uh, I've got quite a good feeling about this. If we, if we can play as well as we did on Tuesday night and last Saturday, if we can carry that on, there's no reason why we can't go up there and we can't do something. We do play better against the better teams in the division. And they're playing well at the minute. And... It's got all the hallmarks of a Millwall hit and run job, isn't it? As long as we can, as long as we can remember how to score goals, I'd, and there's nothing more I'd love to see more than Zahor go back to West Brom injured after scoring a goal for us <laughs> tomorrow night. So if we can get your score predictions in the comments below, if you're watching, I think Mickey's just put a little post out there. But yeah, any score predictions tomorrow? I think I, I'm the same as you, Neil. I am confident quietly, but then sometimes when we when we're quietly confident being a Millwall fan, it's normally exactly. Normal the exactly. Like five past yeah. three. I was dreading. I was dreading Tuesday night against Bournemouth, and I watched the first ten minutes, and I saw you know Brooks skip past a couple of players, oh. thinking this is not going to be good. But then you know by the halftime whistle, he's unlucky to be one 0 down, and came back out second half and got a really good uh draw in the end i think i think if we play the same way you're right you know if we give him a good get if we match him and try and you know play on the front foot i think there's no reason why we can't you know try and nick it tomorrow so with that i'm going to say we're going to win one nil and i'm going to say matt smith scores again so that's my prediction mickey can, give me yours one <laughs> into the hall. i'm gonna go one nil smith i'm gonna go so i i, I think we're gonna win more than that i think we're gonna do it i reckon we go yeah, I reckon we'll go 2 0. Maybe the 2 1. No, good. Yeah. No, they'll probably score because of what's his name's there. Yeah, go 2 1. 2 1, Millwall. Cooper no. to score. Yeah, I'm going to go 1 0 as well. But I was I was going to go Smith, but I'll, I'll be different. I'll go Bennett. I think Bennett's due a goal. And I, I, I like him. And I think he likes playing at Forest, as you said before. You know, the whole the old derby influence. I think he's mm. going to up his game for that one. So, yeah, I'm just going to go. I've just got a feeling that it's kind of set up for Bennett to come back in tomorrow and just make a difference. That's what I feel like. I mean, keep your predictions coming, guys. I think a lot of people are confident, and I think which is only a good <laughs> thing for us, like I said. So I like Adam's comment of uh, Lars yeah, Taylor and goal. Yeah, but I've actually settled for a grab and own goal, wouldn't you? Oh, that'll do. Two own goals. <laughs> but no, I think it's set up to be a good game. I think um, I just want to quickly touch on some transfer news before we um, go 
and finish up today. I think um, I was hearing what Rowett was saying during the week. It, I think we're finally going to see the end of Jerry Scalak, guys. I mean, yes. I don't know how guaranteed that is to happen because you need someone to come in. I imagine we'll end up just paying him off to us at this point. But yeah, I mean, the transfer that never really worked out, Neil, Jerry Scalak. No, mate. It, yeah, well, I don't know what was going through Aldo's mind to sign him, actually. He, he was a player who had, what, one good season at Brighton? And then he did nothing for a season, season and a half. And we came in and paid, what, three quarters of a million quid for him? They must have thought it was fucking Christmas. <laughs> Literally. Somebody coming in wanting to pay money for him. I think we're probably going to have to pay him off. I can't see anybody wanting him. He isn't going to want to go anywhere. I know that I saw I saw a couple of comments. He's only on eight grand a week, only on eight grand a week. I think he's on a little bit more than that. I think that's the real one. Yeah, I don't think he'd have come here for eight grand a week. Yeah, but yeah, but then hopefully him and his Ferrari can fuck off out the car park. <laughs> has he actually got a Ferrari? I know you keep saying this, and you keep you know you keep saying he's collecting his money, but has he actually got a Ferrari? Can you confirm that? I believe he has, hasn't he? Yeah, he posted on Instagram or something. I a could be Ferrari or something. I'm not quite sure to you, but I think it's the sign that really worked out. I think, you know, I don't know if it fell on Aldo, like you said. I don't know if it was Alex Aldridge's uh, little flag player or if it maybe it was a Neil Harris sort of thing of thinking, you know what, 4-4-2, I've signed, you know, I've signed uh, Matt Smith. Let me get someone across the ball and hopefully... Yeah, we'll Neil Harris doesn't make the recommendations. I Neil think... Harris didn't send people out to scout players. It no, that's that true. Yeah. He'd give it the green light, I imagine. The recruitment who gives Neil Harris a sheet of players. Which Harris um, treated from at that time. Yeah, but they were probably, yeah, they were probably working through, yeah, the five first choices that we couldn't get because we were asking silly, or we were offering silly money for them. And we eventually get down to our bottom choice, which must have been Scalak. I cannot believe he was anywhere near the top <laughs> choice of ours. I think that's it, though. It's like um, you never know with the transfer. Maybe one day we can get someone on that you know is involved with recruitment and kind of gives an insight. But from what I understand, it as it is a bit of a minefield. You got players, you got people scouting the players, people watching the players, people flagging them up based on how many appearances they've made and how many minutes they've played and how many times they've ran forward into the box and stuff like that. And then then it goes up to a director, then it goes to a manager. But a lot of it changes nowadays. I think we will do it more in an old style, so to speak. I think the manager does get quite a lot of a say. When you compare it to the likes of, I don't know, Chelsea, for example, I think a lot of it's done by the board. But, you know. Yeah, well, we've got the former fan on the board here. Mickey, come on. Steve does most of it. At the beginning of the season, they um, there's a meeting at the beginning of the season um, for obviously the first transfer, then obviously the second one. And they agree a target list through the stats, through what when Aldo was there, Aldo and his team used to create players who would fit well within the team. They'd collate a list and they'd go through the list and go, yes, 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 no, 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 whatever. And then that list would be their Bible, what they work and go after by hook or by crook. But don't forget, the trouble is, unless it's changing now with obviously the new one what's come in, um, that he's got a bit more experience with Europe and, uh, and overseas, we've never scouted overseas. That's right. We don't well, maybe really we have scout anywhere outside the UK. Or maybe no, we, we never did. Under Neil Harris. Harris. No, we, we never did. Under Neil, we never had. He didn't want. He didn't want overseas. So we never looked at the the German leagues, the French leagues, the Turkish leagues. The, you know, all, all, all the other leagues where there was loads. I mean, I met a couple of guys who come over and scouted here 
for a lot of our um, middle 20 players to go over and play in um, in Spain B leagues and stuff where they could get really good money for playing, where they're coming, you know, late 20s, coming up towards the end of their career on a championship level uh, and try and take people over. But no, I think it's always mad that a team like Millwall, really, we could we could probably really benefit from looking in, you know, the French leagues, the German leagues and stuff. Um, but we've never done it. Whether or not that changes now, Aldo O'Neill and everything else and a new guy in, don't know. I think it's, it's a good opportunity. Told me that Millwall don't sign foreign players, so they don't yeah. put anyone up to them. It's a, it's a stigma, isn't it? I suppose, but I think mm. it's maybe a good time at the moment. Maybe with no crowds there, the game's kind of changed the way it plays a little bit, you know. And maybe it is a good opportunity to get a couple of foreign players in on loan signings and maybe see how they are. You never know; it could be something that works out well. I think criticism a lot, you know. Sorry, Jimmy was French. He came from Plymouth Argyle on the free transfer, so yeah. he already had a taste of the English league. So. When was, I, I, when was- when was Mick Harper at the club? Was it... He was under low mass, wasn't he? Twenty thirteen yeah, sort of times. There was a, apparently they, they said they were sending him sending him to France or something to scout for players. I don't think he was seeing the game with you. I think, I think no, he just he, made, yeah. he just got pissed up on the ferry and forgot what he was going for and he just came back. Again. Yeah, he was probably steaming by the time yeah. he got to the yeah, ferry, exactly. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that like the only fools and horses trip to France where you know once he got there he was too pissed to scout any players, but. Um, you're sorry, Mick, I, if you're watching this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> allegedly, you were drinking on the ferry. Only allegedly. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think that's the closest we've come to scouting, scouting the continent, which is, you know, and like I say, I, I brings you back to, to Bob Pearson again and a story about one of the only players that he signed that was outside of the London area because he had this very strict sort of read, sort of channel that he worked. Um, and it was all because. Uh, a fellow called a striker called Alan McKenna was on Rangers books and he was being messed about and he was I think he was in his local pub moaning about it or he was with his dad in the pub moaning about it word got round to a friend who knew Bob Pearson phoned Bob Pearson said look Rangers got this bloke he's not happy 24 hours later he had, he had him down playing a practice he had George Petchy watching him for a practice match and they signed him and that's how quick he used to work and that's what he used to do that's so Jock it, isn't it obviously, yeah yeah I, I, yeah right. I know Jock really well yeah we had, yeah. I had Jock on we'd done a I'd done a show with Jock um, last year or whatever, but yeah, he's a he's a fantastic. We can always yeah, get him on another show. He's yeah, a great, he's, he's, he's a great, great. Uh, answer really to well, Alex, yeah. Alex Jackson. Um, got no idea on Campbell, but no, we really will knows. we will speak in the week to the guy who leaked that story in the Motherwell paper, and uh, and we should be able to give you some feedback on next week's show, mate. I think I've a lot of that feeling, is. I've got a feeling that's a sign in for next season. Yeah, maybe. I think that's it, though, because he's rumoured to be... His contract expires at the end of the season. I think if he, anyone out of the Scottish leagues he could talk to to get a contract, which I think maybe adds another dynamic in there, you know. Maybe that's a problem we've got where, um, you know, because he, he's got other options from a far and a wide and that can afford to maybe not pay him a transfer fee, maybe they can maybe give him a bit more wages, which could be a problem. Um, we'll end on the last comment from Linus here. We need a Sweden Millwall. What was the last Swedish player to play for Millwall? There's one, if ever. That's a little bit of a... Mm. Stato trivia there. I, I couldn't read really, no. Swedish player to play. Oh, I couldn't. I could not tell you. No, Scandinavia. No. What about if we brought it a little bit more? Anyone? Paul Huberts. Paul Huberts. Yeah. Um, uh, no, there was also the defender, wasn't there? The lad. Your Hoiveld. Game. What about Hoiveld? Was it? Where's he from? What's Hoiveld? Where was he from? Was, Dutch, was he Dutch Hoiveld? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, but he was the guy that played one game, didn't he? Hmm. 
Oh, Renegi, that's it. Adam Scanlon's on it, that's it. Matthias Renegi, the strike online from Watford. That's there you go. Yeah, yeah, remember him, Renegi. <laughs> Omar's brain, the way Omar's brain works, he's, it, you know, his pals just went stroke, striker on loan from Watford and Omar's just gone, oh yeah, I know the name. Straight <laughs> off the top there. No idea what he's on about. He's just literally striker on loan, Watford. Oh yeah, that's I know that is off. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about Renegi, but there you go. Yeah, he was the lanky one that played one or two games. It's right there. Yeah. It, it, it does remind me a little sparks of stuff. So, um, but yeah, I appreciate the comments and I think all the interaction, guys. And obviously, Murph, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it um and yeah we'll be back what sunday we'll do a little review show from the game boys yeah yeah definitely yeah, don't forget uh wednesday we've got uh wednesday show is a super duper special show uh we have got the musical legend steve harley um from the cockney rebel and he's done a, a who are you with us and um talking about his time supporting millwall and some other bits and pieces around there. His music, his uh, his love of Millwall, and he's a genuine Lois bloke. Um, superb, uh, great interview. Um, I done with him, and his he, he, time with Millwall, he loves it. Um, he's not so, you know, obviously doesn't get to follow it as much as he does. But uh, you know, talking about the fifties and sixties era. Um, yeah, we, there'll be some short videos coming out over the weekend towards uh, Wednesday's release, but that'll be on podcast and that'll definitely be one you don't want to miss. Um, and then the following week, we've got another f- former player interview. Yeah, and we go back to those. Last night. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is just yet, but he was absolutely blind in this guy. He, he, There was no subject off limits. And it was really insightful, really, really thoughtful. And and it's just another brilliant, brilliant former player interview. I know we say this all the time, but we but we're actually raising the yeah, the bar with them. Is that the Sean Devine that used to play for us, by the way? Don't believe so, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you actually come back in a minute and go, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, if you, is Sean, if you are the Sean Devine that played for us, drop us a message and we'll do a former player interview. With you. <laughs> Just look, guys, if you like this, obviously let us know. Um, and remember, we're back next Friday, 8pm. Make sure you tell your pals. And uh, and get on board. Sorry, Omar, I cut you off there. Go for that. That's it. No, make sure to check us out on social media. Obviously, that mill podcast on Twitter at that mill podcast everywhere, pretty much. And um, yeah, we'll be back next week, and obviously back next Friday, at eight o'clock, with our usual slot. See you guys soon. Up the Lions. Message. Hey man, it's Devin. You know from that time you accidentally emailed me because you thought I was a different Devin. <laughs> oh, and your email signature said confidential. If you receive this in error, please delete. <laughs> That's so you. Anyway, I heard you bought a boat. When are we set in sail, Captain? <laughs> when you get a boat, you also get new friends. Make sure Progressive's one of them and get coverage today for as little as $100 a year. Oh, and uh, no, you did not receive this message in error. <laughs> Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Annual Premium for Basic Liability Policy not available in all states. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.